You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Anti-gay right-wing evangelical Christian lunatic Linda Harvey, founder of the SPLC-designated anti-gay hate group Mission America, sat down with my old pal Peter LaBarbera, founder of the anti-LGBT hate group Americans for Truth About Homosexuality, and had a little chat about all the sick, sinful, sex-crazed, predatory gays out there recruiting children into the gay lifestyle via GSAs in high schools. That used to stand for Gay Straight Alliances. Now it stands for Gender and Sexuality Alliances. Anyway, Harvey and La Babera both backed Donald Trump because, of course, they did. 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump and 99.99% of evangelical leaders backed Trump. And, oh, hey, remember when Trump told some 14-year-old girls they'd be dating him soon? Remember when Trump Admitted on Howard Stern to marching into the changing room to look at naked teenage girls during the Miss Teen USA pageant. Harvey and La Babera and the entire evangelical movement also backed Roy Manigod Moore in Alabama, a man who not only sexually assaulted teenage girls, allegedly, but also chased one girl into her high school. Not a week, not a day goes by that we don't hear about some high-profile preacher or leader on the religious right getting busted for child porn or child rape or regular old rape rape. There's even a Me Too-style hashtag just for churchy rapists, hashtag church too. And this week, almost immediately after, La Babera and Harvey wrung their hands about GSAs in high schools, recruiting, preying on teenagers, we learned that Memphis megachurch pastor Andy Savage, no relation, sexually assaulted a 17-year-old girl when he was working at a Baptist church in Texas. It's pretty harrowing. He drove the girl from the church to an empty field, telling her it was where he wanted to build his own church. And when he parked at the end of the dirt road, he pulled out his cock, asked her to suck it, opened her shirt, fondled her breast. Then he jumped out of the truck. Reports don't say if he came before he jumped out of the truck, but this certainly does sound like post-orgasmic panic and regret. He jumps out of the truck, falls to his knees, begs for her forgiveness, and tells her she must take this to the grave. And the girl, when her grades began to slide, when she slipped into depression, went to the pastor of the church, told him what had happened, and he blamed her for participating. Back to Linda and Peter. They spoke on Mission America, Harvey's radio show. Let's listen in. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, how do we re-horrify people about the the sin of homosexuality? People are becoming so comfortable with this. I mean, even people on our side. We need to re-horrify well, them. I, I, I think it's very complicated. I think it comes back to gaining a moral understanding that that um, is found in the, in the Word of God. You know, we, we have to respect God and God's values again. It used to be easy for people like Harvey and LaBarbera to horrify the straits. For centuries, really for millennia, they only had to point to a couple of clobber passages in the Bible. They keep repeating those passages to each other and screaming them at us, of course. But they had to come up with a secular rationalization for their hatred, at least until they turned the United States into a theocracy, which is their stated goal. And it worked for a while, for decades. All they had to say was, those guys put their peepees in each other's poopers, and that was enough. That was horrifying. For a lot of straight people. They still say that. They obsess about it. 
A quick look at Peter LaBarbera's Twitter feed reveals that he can hardly think of anything else. But lots of straight people put their peepees in each other's butts too, both flesh and blood peepees and strapped on peepees. And lots more straight people are honest about that now. And lots of gay people don't put peepees in their butts or anyone else's butts. 25% of gay men never have anal intercourse. In real numbers, not percentages, there's more straight anal intercourse on any given Saturday night in this country, on this planet, than gay anal intercourse. For a long time back when they were horrifying straight people with the butt sex thing, they were also hurting believers into church basements and forcing them to watch footage from gay pride parades mixed in with, and I shit you not, graphic clips from extreme gay porn. Gay men beating each other, pissing on each other, fisting each other. And that was pretty reliably horrifying for churchgoers back when straight people could pretend that other straight people didn't do and enjoy the exact same quote-unquote perversions. It's hard to argue that gay sex acts are uniquely sinful or adventurous after you've caught your straight spouse watching DP, ATM, Femdom, BBC gangbang porn on multiple occasions. Anyway, I feel kind of sorry for Linda Harvey. Not really. I mean, something that used to be so easy, horrifying the straights, is so much more difficult now. Poor Linda is having to work harder than ever to convince the average straight person that all the gays are poop-smeared child molesters that they should be afraid of. Not to be confused, of course, with the gun-toting, pussy-grabbing child molesters they should vote for. Since straight people now know that there really isn't anything gay people do that straight people don't also do, oral, anal, water sports, S&M, DP, CBT, etc., and since telling straight people that the gays have lots of crazy sex, is a lot likelier these days to instill feelings of jealousy rather than horror, Linda's going to have to point to something else, something uniquely gay and uniquely horrifying. I've been racking my brain all weekend, and I didn't come up with anything good. Frosted tips, straight people got those too. Tramp stamps, they got them first. Double penetration, and equal opportunity ass time. Rehorrifying people about a minority is hard. Sadly, it's not impossible, as history demonstrates again and again, but it is an uphill climb that requires a sustained effort from an active group of haters drawn from the majority and the active embrace or passive acceptance of the majority of the majority. And with the particular superpower enjoyed by sexual minorities, Linda, I'm thinking you can lube that genie up all you like, but you are not going to be able to stuff him back in the bottle. That superpower, our superpower is that gay people are distributed randomly throughout the population. And with more and more gay people out now in the West than ever, right-wing Christian activists aren't attacking the other when they attempt to horrify or re-horrify people about homosexuality. They're attacking family. They're attacking friends, coworkers, or neighbors, Ellen, Anderson, Rosie, Andy, but more importantly, family. Not some scary gay person without a face who's covered in poop and starting the GSA, your son, your uncle, your nephew, your dad. Good luck with that, Linda. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, we've got tons of your Q's and a lot of my A's. And coming up on the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, Erica Moen of Ojoy Sex Toy joins us with another sex toy recommendation. All that plus more calls on the Magnum on today's show. Hey, Dan. Mid-30s, uh, straight married guy here with a question about kink in a long-term relationship. Um, my wife and I have been together for 15 years. And when we started seeing one another, we were both 20. And neither one of us really had a lot of experience at that point. Um, she was a virgin, and I only had one prior partner. But 
we had well-matched sex drives. You know, we get along in all the other ways that make a relationship work. And so, you know, fast forward to now, my wife is still totally vanilla, but I've really discovered in the last, you know, five to seven years that I'm really turned on by um, bondage, uh, like female domination, pegging. And it's something my wife has been GGG enough to try with me, um, but it's really clear that she's not into it. And it's something that has really become, you know, a big part of my erotic imagination. I, you know, jerk off to that all the time. Um, but, you know, she's not really into it. And I've not been able to figure out a way to make it more of a turn on for her. I've tried to explain to her, you know, how horny that makes me, how sexy I think she is. But she doesn't still doesn't seem into it. And there's nothing really so much of a boner killer as you know, getting pegged, but she looks bored or, you know, just frustrated. We've got two kids. I'm not going anywhere. I don't think my wife would, well, I'm 99% certain my wife would not open up the relationship. Um, so I wanted to call and ask if you might have any kind of workaround here. Do I just keep, you know, jerking off to this fantasy and realize it's not really going to be very well realized in real life? You know, I've tried to make it something my wife's into, but, you know, it doesn't seem like it's worked. Anyway, I know you always say it's kind of important to put your kink cards on the table, but I feel like this is kind of the exception to that of, you know, she, we didn't have any kink cards to begin with. And now I just kind of feel stuck and it's kind of affecting the rest of our, our sex lives. Midori, who's a respected kink and sex educator way ahead of the curve on the kink and sex positivity front in San Francisco, she runs an event called Fort Femme, uh, and it's a seminar. It's a, it's a weekend where women who are interested in femdom relationships, some of them who've been asked to step into that role by their submissive partners, go and learn all about how to be a sexually dominant woman. And one of the things that she tells women to release them from the anxiety that they often experience when they're being asked to step into this role is rather than saying – how do I live up to these images that I've seen of kinky sex, of kinky women? Ask yourself, what do I want right now? And then make that demand. What do I want for my partner right now? And it might be, as Midori said on our program, just a cup of hot tea right now. That's all I want. And they can order their submissive partner to go get them that. And you can tiptoe and take really tiny incremental baby steps toward that kind of femdom play and relationship. And one of the wonderful things about kink and dominance as a mission is it's not just about genital sex. It's not just about when you're having sex. It can seep out consensually and by mutual agreement in ways that give an erotic charge to everyday interactions like go make me some tea. Not would you do me the favor, honey, of going to make me some tea, but I am your mistress and I'm ordering you to go make me some tea. And a lot of people find that very invigorating and arousing and it becomes this playful seductive dance that people who have a DS dynamic that can be very pronounced during sex enjoy in less pronounced ways during everyday activities. So I think the first step that you should take with your wife is backing way the hell up and talking about femdom relationships and talking about your submissive desires in a way that isn't requiring her right out of the gate to perform varsity level femdom maneuvers like pegging your tied up ass that's high-level femdom stuff, and there might not be anything in that for her that she can perceive at this moment. Often, there are some women out there who really enjoy pegging for their own sake. They really enjoy 
the transgressiveness of it, the inversion of gender roles and expectations. They really enjoy fucking the shit out of some guy, even though they're not getting a lot of sensory input themselves because their nerve endings, their critical erotic nerve endings aren't necessarily in play at that moment. They do enjoy it. It turns them on. But some women, it doesn't turn them on. There's really nothing in it for them. They're giving pleasure to their partner. That might be more exciting for your wife to reward you with that pegging if you've given to her in many ways, if you've satisfied other demands that she has made in the run-up to your being pegged. Now, maybe this is the approach you've taken and none of this works and being dominant and seeing you with a dildo sliding in out of your ass is just a libido killer for your wife and she's not going to be able to go there. But if a pegging was something that she rewarded you with after, say, you've made her tea 10 times or you've gone down on her 10 times and left your own dick in your own pants and it was all about her pleasure, perhaps she wouldn't regard pegging then as this thing that she does for you in absence of your doing anything for her. So I think you should continue to have these conversations with your wife. You also might want to revisit not the openness discussion, but the erotically charged environment discussion that can sometimes lead to openness and often not. And talk to your wife about attending some kink events, going to some play parties together where you're only going to touch each other and you're only going to observe. And she is not expected to bust out a million femdom moves in that moment. But you're just going to move through that environment so that she can see other people, other hopefully loving couples, playing and engaging in BDSM practices. And maybe that would open her up. Also possible that will shut her down if this is really a libido killer for her. If you determine that it is actually really a libido killer for her, then you may not get to explore these things except through fantasy. You say that this is already having a damaging impact on your shared sex life. And yeah, that is a thing that happens when one person's erotic script, the kink cards they didn't know they had when they got together that emerged later in life or surfaced later in life, when that can never be realized, that can instill a certain degree of frustration and resentment, a desire instead to go masturbate on your own with your fantasies at the computer with porn that is meeting your need instead of having the vanilla sex with your partner that used to meet your needs and right now just reminds you of everything you can't have. And I think the key for a successful kink discordant relationship is to find a way where everyone gets what they want, where you get your needs met and she gets her needs met. And maybe that's not an open relationship, but you having her permission to occasionally go to a kink party and play, not to have intercourse, maybe even not to come or touch anyone else in the swimsuit area, but just to have some bondage time, submission time, licking boots time, crawling on the floor time, whatever it is that appeals to you about femdom, whatever it is that makes your dick hard, that you can masturbate about later, but in the moment you're not going to do anything except throw yourself into the play, maybe she could allow you to do that. And I do know couples, I've heard from couples, where that was the solution. And that removed the resentment that was screwing up the vanilla sex that they'd always enjoyed. Because in a kink-discordant relationship, when the kinky partner is told, this can never happen for you, it eats away at them that... My partner is getting from me all the vanilla sex that they require. All of their needs are being met. And this very important thing to me, and it's easy for non-kinky people to look at kinks and roll their eyes and ask, why is this so crucial? Why is this so important? But for a kinky person, these things are important. And they kind of need them. They need some outlet. They need some release. And for some people, that's porn and that's enough. But for others, porn and masturbation fantasy is not enough. 
And if your wife can allow you to have some outlet, have some release, then you're not going to carry your resentment at what you don't get into the vanilla sex that you used to enjoy and could still enjoy and should still enjoy with her. So these are conversations that you need to have with the wife, ongoing conversations, also drawing her out at the same time about what she wants, what her needs are. But again, you're asking for permission to find a way to incorporate these things into your sex life. You need to be at the same time extending permission to your wife to ask for whatever it is that she might need. And that might mean things she hasn't disclosed to you yet. There might be things about your wife's interests or needs that she's held back or that she's too ashamed right now to cop to or, or put out on the table herself. Or she might just be 100,000% vanilla. It is possible for vanilla people, though, 100,000% vanilla people, to have a need, to have a particular need that they haven't shared that's vanilla but maybe involves someone else or something else. So while you're talking to your wife about what you need, constantly check in with her about her needs and make sure they're being met and be open to revelations from your wife about needs she's only coming into awareness of now at this stage of your marriage or needs she's bottled up for a very long time and has been afraid to share with you. And if your wife is open to it and you are on the East Coast, Midori is hosting a Fort Femme Dominance Intensive in New York City, January 26th through the 28th. Go to fortfemme, dot -E com for more information about Midori's workshops for wannabe dominant women and their wannabe submissive partners. Hi, Dan. I have a question about sub-dom relationships. I just ended my first date with a dom who I met on Life. Thanks to your encouragement to join that site. I really love it. But I'm having, after all the discussions we had, I'm having a lot of conflicting feelings where I feel very sexually aroused and very happy in that respect, but also many feelings of shame. And I'm wondering if maybe you or your callers could help me unpack those feelings because I feel this is what I want and what I should be doing. But there's so much inside me that tells me it's wrong. And I guess that's normal from what society tells us. So yeah. Any suggestions you have to overcome these feelings and just enjoy this journey would be really appreciated. I'm afraid I can't ask my listeners to help you unpack your feelings because Northern Michigan's Lake Superior State University released its 43rd annual list of words banished from the English language for misuse, overuse, and general uselessness a couple of days ago, and on the list with, let me ask you this, impactful, nothing burger, tons of dish, drill down, let that sink in. And the top vote getter, fake news, is the word, my, one of my favorite words, something we do here on the podcast frequently, unpack. We are not supposed to use, according to Northern Michigan Lake Superior State University, we are not supposed to use unpack anymore. So I can't ask my listeners to help you unpack these feelings. I can only ask them to help you interrogate these feelings, examine these feelings, turn them over in your head, look at them from all angles, but unpack that we cannot do. Also, something you're not going to want to necessarily do is completely get over that tension between your sexual persona and your public persona, but between the person that you were raised to be, the person that you're supposed to be, and the dirty little submissive sex monster that you also are and want to be and are going to be in a healthy consensual way with healthy consenting adult partners because that tension is something that makes those transgressive desires erotic and arousing. 
So in a way, you don't want to completely lose that feeling. And I promise you, if you were raised, quote unquote, right, you may never, ever lose that feeling entirely. That feeling of, oh, my God, I shouldn't be doing this, but here I am doing it. How exciting that is. You want to ride that wave. That feeling really is the wave that a lot of people who are into kink, into dominance and submission, they surf on that wave of revulsion, disgust, self-loathing, but they found a way to contain it. They found a way to take those feelings and rather than experiencing them like an ocean that they are bobbing in, they experience them like a tub that they are splashing in. And I guess that's not a perfect analogy because I don't think you can make a wave in a bathtub. You could surf, but I think you follow my meaning generally here. You also want those feelings to act as a bit of a control, especially when you're new and you're just getting into it because you want to take baby steps. You don't want the sexual arousal of finally getting to do these things that you've always fantasized about and always wanted to do to, to stick with the water metaphors, to prompt you to jump into the deep end of the pool when you don't know how to swim yet. You want to stay in the shallow end of the pool. So allow those feelings of, what am I doing, to be a control, to keep you in the shallow end of the pool for now until you know yourself better. And you've been able to test slowly by taking baby steps whether the things you fantasize about in reality are things that you're going to enjoy in the same way that you've enjoyed them when you've masturbated about them. Sometimes we fantasize about something and we masturbate about it. We are sure that we are going to love it and then we do it. And the doing of it or the having it done to us of it isn't as sexy, isn't as arousing. You want to tiptoe up to those big items on your submission fantasy checklist so you don't ruin everything else you enjoy about dom-sub games by biting off more than you can chew, by jumping into the deep end of the pool too soon. So you want to take baby steps from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. You can harness those feelings of Shame, usually a useless feeling, but you can harness those feelings of shame not to prevent you from doing these things, but to help you do these things gradually, slowly, to roll it out, baby step style. But yeah, rather than regarding those feelings of shame as somehow disqualifying and a sign that maybe you don't want to do those things, you need to look at those feelings and say, this is part of what arouses me about these things, that I'm going to transgress against the person I was raised to be, the person I'm supposed to be. The person perhaps that I would like to be and I'm going to transgress against that public persona in an erotic, controlled, consensual way with a partner of my choosing that I've gotten to know and I trust enough to go to this place with, this transgressive place, this place where rather than feelings of shame paralyzing my erotics, paralyzing my junk, leaving me feeling frustrated and incapable of really doing the things sexually – that I want to do, that these feelings are part of what fuel that, part of what makes it so exciting to do these things. And in that way, you can build a firewall around those feelings of shame, that there's something that, that these feelings no longer control you, but you control them, that you have walled them off, that they're in this contained space and you can reach into those feelings when you want to and pull out a little bit of it to fuel your erotic imagination and then throw it back in when you're done. Also for people who are just getting into BDSM or Dom Sub, maybe that's going to be a theme on today's show. More calls coming. This is where the importance of aftercare can be crucial. People will do things. They'll explore a kink. They'll try something new. And immediately after the orgasm, feelings of shame or self-loathing or what have I done can really wash over someone. And it's important for the top. And I hope you've had conversations with your potential new top caller about this. It's important for the top 
when the bottom is emerging from the scene in the afterglow to be loving, to be there for the bottom, to hold them and, and talk to them and reconnect with them as equals. Even if the dom sub thing is a constant thrum under the surface in the relationship at that moment to really be tender and giving and loving, which a, someone can do in a context of a DS relationship where the DS is always there. And that's crucially important, especially for a newbie like you. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old straight cis male living in San Francisco. I'm calling for help in understanding my desires. I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to sex, I think. Sadomasochism doesn't turn me on, especially giving and receiving pain. I enjoy the sensuality and pleasure-giving aspect of sex. So, I fantasize and masturbate to the thought of hooking up with multitudes of strangers, especially through dating apps or social media sites like Tinder, OkCupid, and even FetLife. I'm kind of ashamed of this desire because I feel like there's a commodification of women's bodies. It's sort of like I'm window shopping for things and not people. It seems like something a red pill asshole pickup artist does, but it still really turns me on. There are a couple of reasons I think it does. The fleeting sensuality, sharing your body in the most intimate ways with a stranger and experience the bodies of many partners. Though this is my fantasy, I don't act on it other than in my head. But I'd like to start and not be an asshole. Respect is incredibly important to me, and I don't want to disrespect or hurt any of the feelings of my future partners by having them feel like they've been used for sex. Is it possible to live out my fantasy while still respecting partner's feelings? How? It is entirely possible to have sex, anonymous sex, with a stranger or a near stranger or a friend you haven't met yet in a way that doesn't dehumanize or objectify them. If you are having anonymous sex with someone who wishes to be having anonymous or nearly anonymous sex with you – who wants that one off as badly as you do, who is taking pleasure from you as you are taking pleasure from her. And in that moment when you guys are together, that the giving and taking of pleasure is mutual and you're both making an effort to meet each other's needs, not treating each other like masturbatory aids. That's not commodification. That's not objectification. That's not red pill assholery. That is a successful very, very short-term relationship. We don't talk about STRs. I think we should talk about STRs. We talk about successful LTRs all the time and what goes into a successful LTR and we examine the best practices of successful LTRers so that other people who aren't yet in the LTRs they aspire to be in can have the best possible LTRs ever once they're in one. We don't talk about STRs, short-term relationships, how you can have a successful short-term relationship. And what you're interested in is many, many, or what you fantasize about, many, many, extremely short-term relationships. You can do that. There are places you can go. There are people you can find on apps and on Craigslist who are after what you are after. And if you treat those people not as contemptible because they're willing to do what you want, sometimes people want to have incredibly, for lack of a better term, sleazy sex. They themselves want to have this sleazy sex and they sneer at and look down at the people who also want the same kind of sleazy sex that they want because those people are sleazes. You know you're not a sleaze even though you want to do this sleazy thing. That one sleazy thing exists in this context of all your other qualities and traits that you are aware of because you know yourself as a three-dimensional human being with many qualities and traits, some of them contradictory. But they look at the person who responded to their Craigslist ad 
that was looking for that sleazy hookup and they think that person is justice leads through and through and I don't have to treat that person with respect or kindness or compassion even for the 20 minutes we negotiated to spend together. And you know what? You do need to treat that person with respect. And that person is as multifaceted and in some ways contradictory a human being as you are. And that exchange, that meeting, that coming together can be affirming and loving for the time, pre-agreed to time that you're going to be together. It can also be scalding and dehumanizing and jerky and leave both people feeling diminished if that's what those two people bring to that exchange, if they treat each other with contempt. So, yeah. Yeah. You can do this. There are sex clubs you can go to where there are people who just want to have a one-off. You can get online. You can find women out there. Women have these fantasies too. There are women out there who want many, many sex partners and don't want an ongoing connection to guys that they hook up with once. It's part of the thrill for them too. Find someone who wants what you want. Golden rule that shit. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat them as well as you would hope and like them to treat you in return. And then part. It's really not that hard. But it can lend itself to abuse. It, it, can, it can draw out abuse from people who otherwise wouldn't be so abusive. It's a little like the internet. People talk about how the anonymity of the internet allows people to be, without consequence, their worst selves. It can often bring out just the awfulness in a person. They're an anonymous commenter online. They're on subreddit being a dick. And sometimes people do that with anonymous sex. I'm never going to see this person again. There's no accountability here. I don't have to treat this person well. You should choose to treat that person well. You should hold yourself accountable even in moments and circumstances where your mom isn't going to burst into the room and hold you accountable. And then you can have this in your life. You can enjoy your fantasies with a clear conscience. Hey, Dan, I'm a 17-year-old straight male high school student and I have a bit of a problem. So there's this girl that I went out with a couple times and things were going really well. And then a couple weeks into the relationship, I found out that she was actually 14 years old. And I had a bit of a problem with that. She didn't lie to me or anything, but I felt uncomfortable dating and or having sex with a 14-year-old. And she was completely cool about it. And she agreed to stay friends and everything was fine. But she did ask if we could continue engaging in what I'll call sort of over the phone via text, dirty talk conversations that we've done a couple of times in the past. And I agreed and we've done it a couple of times since then. And it's always been fun and there hasn't been any problems with the relationship, but I'm starting to question whether or not this too is ethically not okay because of the age difference. So is there something morally wrong with, me engaging in slightly kinky over the text dirty talk with a 14 year old. Is it hypocritical for me to be okay with this, but not having sex with or actively dating her? I would encourage you to go to a really terrific website called freerangekids.com and click on the tag sexting, where you'll find information about a bill currently working its way through Congress that mandates a 15 year prison term for teens who get caught sexting. It gets worse. There are teenagers on sex offender registries or adults who are on sex offender registries now because they were, they thought, innocently texting with someone who was underage. And they either didn't know they were underage or they didn't think it was a problem because there was no actual physical contact. They were just 
sharing fantasies, maybe sharing pics. Then they get busted for child endangerment, child pornography, corrupting a minor. You are one angry parent away from a sex offender registry or the, the risk of landing on a sex offender registry for the rest of your life. What if her parents see those texts and go to the police? You have got to stop this. I would encourage you perhaps to get on the phone with this girl one last time and send her photographic proof, screen grabs from your phone that show that you have deleted these conversations and ask her to do the same. So they aren't lurking on her phone. And then one day mom and dad get mad. They don't know where she is. She was out drinking and comes home blotto and they read their daughter's text messages to find out what's been up because they're worried about her and they come across all of your sex messages. They won't be able to tell that you haven't actually met up in person and done these things. And the things that you're doing themselves, depending on where you live, depending on how out of control and crazy the prosecutors are where you live, they themselves could be a crime. They likely are criminal. You have got to stop this. The ethical concern here isn't misleading a, a teenager. There's nothing sexist about not giving this girl what she wants because she initiated this ongoing sext exchange with you. The issue here is the legal peril that you are in every second of every day that you engage in this behavior with this girl, that you continue to sext her, and every second of every day that those text messages that you've already sent her lurk on her phone. Get her to delete them. Knock this off. Don't do this. <laughs> the risk is too great. In John Ronson's terrific Audible series, The Butterfly Effect, he interviews a teenager, I believe in Oklahoma, who can't go to school, can't go to a restaurant, can't live really anywhere at all except on the far outskirts of town because he molested a child, raped a child. No, because when he was 18 years old, he sent some sexed messages, crude ones, to a girl that he was interested in who had been interested in him. They never had sex. 18 and 17. That kid's life is ruined. Not through any fault of his own, through the fault of a sex negative and some would say pornified culture. Part of what John Ronson's Butterfly Effect Audible series is about is how porn has impacted our culture and the ubiquity of free porn now on the internet has impacted our culture. That kid's life is, if not ruined, seriously curtailed, derailed, distorted. You're at great risk. You are in great peril. Knock this the fuck off. Get those messages deleted. Hi there. So my ex-boyfriend called me a couple weeks ago to ask me if he could take my best friend and roommate to his sister's wedding. He knows my best friend and roommate because he spent time with him and obviously like in our apartment and stuff. He called to ask if I would be upset or hurt by taking him. Um, I ended up asking like questions like why and he basically told me that he was interested in getting to know him more. I ended the conversation telling him that I didn't care and that he should just go and ask him if he wanted. Now that I'm thinking about it and talking about it, um, I was curious if I should feel some kind of way about it. Like, what should my response have been? Or is it right? Or whatever. You ask if, interestingly, you ask if there's a way you should feel about this. And a lot of people out there would argue 
that you should be furious, angry, so upset, bro code violation. He wants to date your roommate. He's not allowed to do that. Your ex isn't allowed to date anyone you've ever met in the whole world or lived with or gone to school with. At least that's how it goes in straight land. You're a new listener. Thank you to your friend who turned you on to the show. Your friend has probably heard me talk about this before. Straight people do this shit all the time. You can't date this. You can't date my ex-girlfriend because we were together for a year and a half, 10 years ago. And the bro code says and straight land says that you can't date the ex of a friend, that the ex of a friend is radioactive somehow. And it would be a violation, a transgression against your friendship to date that person. And I've frequently pointed out that this dynamic is uncommon in gay land. You don't see this often. You don't hear people often making this argument that because I dated somebody a year ago, 10 years ago, or this person is my roommate and you broke up with me, you can't be interested in this person. You can't date this person. And we don't do this in gay land because we are a tiny percentage of the population. We don't have the luxury of declaring great swaths of humanity, particularly if we're aggressive daters, off limits to our friends. And exes. Soon, none of us would be able to date anyone at all. We'd all be stuck at home with a fleshlight we named Robert. So the way you felt about it, which was it gave you pause for a moment, and then you said you'd be fine with it. That would be okay with you. That's the way you should feel about it, the way you actually felt about it, that you're casting around now wondering if instead you should have been angry. Maybe you've picked up on some of this straight land bro code bullshit about who gets to date who. In the wake of a breakup and you're curious if you're doing this ex-boyfriend thing wrong. No, no, no. You're doing the ex-boyfriend thing in Gayland exactly right. You're doing it the way more straight people should do it. You don't mention who broke up with who, you and the ex. It could be awkward. It could be painful if your ex dumped you and then started to date immediately your roommate. That would be salt in the wound and your roommate, best friend, and your ex would have to take that into consideration as they rolled their relationship out. They would have to be sensitive to your pain. But if you dumped your ex and he's interested in your roommate and best friend and your best friend and roommate is interested in him and you think if you could step out of it, step out of your own ego for a second and you think that your ex and your roommate might be good for each other, you should give that your blessing without hesitation and without worrying that you're doing the wounded ex-boyfriend thing all wrong. No, no, you're doing it all right. All gay right. We're going to take a quick break from the calls because Erica Moen is here. She's the cartoonist behind Oh Joy Sex Toy, a weekly comic about sex toys and sex education. You can find her work and her husband Matt's work at ojoysextoy.com. And she drops in on the Lovecast every once in a while to make a sex toy recommendation. Happy New Year, Erica. Hi, Happy New Year. So what's your sex toy rec for 2018 when we're not out there doing everything we can to win the midterm elections to yeah to defeat Trump to get the Dems into power in the house and the senate so we can fucking impeach the motherfucker already what toys should we be playing with in our downtime Okay, well, this one actually really does have an emphasis on the toy part of it. It's less of a thing that you use to feel pleasure, although it is fun, but it's definitely like a game you play with your vagina. It's a it's a thing called the K-goal, and that's the, the letter K and then the word goal, as in like soccer goal, score. And it's a, a Kegel muscle exerciser, and it is amazing. 
So uh, for people just tuning in, Erica, there, I'm sure a lot of people out there have heard us talk about kegels before, know what we're talking about when we talk about kegels. For people who just started listening to the show, who haven't had the kegels download yet, what are kegels and why are they important to exercise? Kegels are your pelvic floor muscles and all the bodies, all the sexes do have them. But mostly when you hear people talking about kegels, you're talking about kegels that are in women. And of course, not every woman has a vagina. Not every vagina has a woman. <laughs> gender is a spectrum. Um, but for, for the sake of this conversation, I'm just going to talk about women just for ease of talking. Um, but so uh, women's kegel, uh, pelvic floor muscles uh, control just kind of all the the, the strengths and stuff that you have down there. Like uh, a lot of women, they'll pee a little bit when they laugh or they sneeze. And that's because they have weak pelvic floor muscles. And um, uh, ladies, after giving birth, their pelvic floor muscles get all bl- like blown out and stretched out from having given birth. And um, and so they're usually encouraged to do Kegel exercises afterwards to kind of like tighten everything back up and, and, and you don't get your need, bladder control. Under you control. don't need a special toy to do Kegel exercises. Like the, the typical thing that people are told is you want to strengthen your Kegels. And guys too because guys with strong Kegels yeah. tend to uh, shoot their cum a little bit farther and guys have orgasmic contractions that engage their Kegel muscles as well. They're less crucial especially to uh, health and some women experience pain, pelvic pain that can be addressed through strengthening the Kegel mm-hmm. muscles during intercourse. Um, but guys are encouraged to do, and what they tell us and tell women is if you want to exercise your Kegel muscles, while you're peeing, stop the flow of urine. That is engaging your Kegels, like cutting off the flow of urine and then releasing and cutting it off and releasing. Like, go, stop, go, stop. And then you can learn to do that without peeing at the same time and just squeeze. I'm squeezing my Kegels right now. Join me, Erica. Let's squeeze our Kegels together for a moment. <laughs> just good old squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> but so you don't need a toy for this, but, t- so, but tell us about this toy and, and why it's better than just standing okay. or sitting uh, on the toilet and making the pee stop and go. All right. And uh, just uh, a little side note so I don't get yelled at. I recommended the, the try peeing and stopping peeing thing. And then a bunch of people were like, that'll give you a UTI. So I don't know. I guess there could be some truth to that, but just do it a couple times, but don't do it all the time. Cause that might give you a UTI. I don't know, man. But, so I'm one of those people who's like, oh, I should exercise my Kegel muscle, question mark. And I would like try to squeeze things. And I would, on the toilet, I could do the, the pee stop and go thing. But like, if I'm not peeing, and I would flex those muscles. I'm like, I, am I even doing it right? I have no fucking clue. And then the Kegel exerciser, that's the first time I ever actually knew I was doing it right for the very first time. So um, let me explain this thing. It's a, uh, it's a little hard to imagine uh, unless you actually see a picture, but there's these two parts to it. And there's this kind of inflatable balloon shape thing that you deflate, you stick that up in your vag, and then you reinflate it. So it, it puffs up to fill your vag uh, just, just so, because, you know, we all have different shapes and sizes. And this one, like it inflates just to fit you specifically. Mm-hmm. And then there's this kind of arm that is sticking out from the bulb and it comes out and curves up and it presses against your front coochie bit and it's on the outside. So you've got a bit on the inside and you've got a bit on the outside. And then when you squeeze down on your Kegel muscles, it makes this little doodad vibrate a little bit. Oh my and the God. harder you squeeze, the I more know, vibrates? right? Like you, the more it vibrates. And so you know exactly how hard you're squeezing or not. And, and then, like, that's super cool on its own. But then on top of that, it, it connects to your phone. Um, and there's there's issues about sex toys and apps and who gets the privacy information. And like, Where I, that I don't data know. goes. We're, we're in, yeah, we're, we're in uncharted territory there. So I don't know. Like, hook up if you 
feel like it, be warned if you're nervous. Um, but if you're like me and you don't give a fuck. You just don't give a fuck if the NSA is monitoring your Kegel muscle strength. You just don't give a fuck, I mean, do like, you? I make my living talking about my Kegel <laughs> muscles, you know? Like every week I'm like, guys, guess what I put up in there? Okay, so what is the anyway. what does the phone app do if you if you uh feel comfortable floating that info out there potentially? <laughs> All right, NSA, get ready. So the 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 phone app, like it 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 gives you these little commands and tells you like, okay, squeeze now, release now, squeeze down and really hold it, hold it, hold it, and release. And then like like, like it gives you these different patterns that you have to match up with. And as you squeeze, you can see these little graphics that correspond to how hard you're squeezing, how long you're squeezing, oh and you God. try to match it to it's so cool. It's like, like it's like you're in a dom sub relationship with your phone. It's ordering you around. Oh, see, I was thinking it was like video games, and I've never enjoyed playing video games, but then you give me a video game I can play with my vagina, and I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I have to say for the penis-having, kegel muscle-having community, that this is really unfair. We don't have a comparable kegel muscle toy that engages our junk. You guys almost way. did. Okay, so the company that makes it is Mina, and they, they kick-started the funding to make the kegel, and then they tried to do one that that's that's for dudes and it's um it's really uh creative like it, it it's like a, a little bicycle seat that the dude sits on and then as he flexes his kegel muscles the the little bicycle seat feels it and i don't know it, it looked really cool but nobody cares about dudes that work in their kegels so it didn't get funded so oh. you guys almost had one but the money didn't get there so it didn't get made well i take responsibility for that failure then because i didn't kick in where can people find this uh toy what's it called again the kegel bulb the K, K, the letter K, goal, as in soccer goal, and it's all one word, and it's made by a company called Mina. So it's $149, which is a little bit of an investment, but I think your kegels are worth it. And their website is minalife.com, and Mina is M-I-N-N-A-L-I-F-E.com. And Valentine's Day is coming right up, so if there's a vagina-having person in your life that you would like to treat to a Kegel exerciser, dom-sub relationship with their phone, <laughs> strengthened orgasms, rewarding, vibration rewards. If they do their Kegels intensely and correctly, this is the toy for you. The Kegel! Thank you so much, Erica. <laughs> it's, always, it. <laughs> it's always great talking with you. Thanks. All right, bye. Happy New Year. Hi, Dan. I'm a cisgendered straight male in, who's 40 years old living in the Puget Sound region. I'm a recent widower, and uh, I'm trying to move my life forward. As such, I've started dating again, and that's been very difficult. I recently got dumped, and it's because uh, in addition to the woman feeling that it was just a little too soon after my wife passed, I'm also having problems with uh, impotency. I I, pr- I produce too much uh, prolactin and my testosterone is low. And I don't quite know what to do. I'm 40 years old. I'm wondering if I should just take myself out of the dating market because my issue isn't medically severe enough that it necessitates testosterone creams or anything else. And I don't really need to get microscopic nodes shaved off my pancreas or whatever gland it is that produces the prolactin. But I'm 40. I'm a widower. It's just so many strikes against me in the in the Seattle dating market that I'm just wondering, you know, I don't have that great a sex drive. I'm a widower. I'm having issues with erections. 
I don't know if I should just take myself out of the dating pool and just say, hey, I had my shot and that's it. And she's gone and there's no going back to it. I'm calling in part because there was a, a gay widower that you had on earlier about a year ago, I think. And I would really like to ask for perspective, especially from the gay widower community, to see if they've got any advice I could use or any perspective on this. Because male widowers, there's still not a whole lot of support out there for straight men. We tend to just shut up, leap into another relationship, or we go cold turkey altogether. And I don't know what to do anymore. I feel like I'm undateable. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sure everyone out there listening right now, their hearts go out to you at this time in your life, this difficult time, particularly this time of year, very difficult. I would recommend perhaps watching a few movies at this moment, maybe to change your perspective on the whole issue of whether someone who's a widow or a widower, a man who's a widower is somehow undesirable. Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle plays a very desirable widower, George Clooney in The Descendants, Christopher Plummer, Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, a widower, Matt Damon in We Bought Azu, a widower, Jake Gyllenhaal in two recent movies, Demolition and Southpaw, widower, Michael Douglas in The American President, Jude Law in The Holiday, Lawrence Olivier in Rebecca, Claude Van Damme in Time Cop, Mike Brady in The Brady Bunch, a widower. The message that you're sending yourself right now, because this one relationship This woman that you were dating ended it in part because she feels you're not ready to date, that it's too soon. And that could be the reason or it could be something else, but that was what she chose to go with because this one woman cited the fact that you were a recent widower as the reason she didn't want to date you doesn't mean that widowers are radioactive on the dating scene. Indeed, television, movies, our fantasies writ large on the silver screen, they tell us the opposite. They tell us that a lot of women are into widowers, that a widower is an attractive, almost iconic, romantic figure. A lot of women like to take care of men. A widower is a broken-winged bird, is a damaged soul, who also has demonstrated that he is capable of loving a woman and seeing it through till the end, that he was in a relationship that didn't, quote-unquote, fail, but succeeded because somebody died. Death parted you. No other reason. And that for some women sends a message about your reliability, your compassionate nature. And that for many women is symbolic of a man's reliability, his compassion, his capacity to love. So this thing that you're telling yourself right now in the wake of this one breakup, I wouldn't say it's disproved. It's not like everything that's up there on the silver screen is the truth and our lived experience is a lie, but it certainly is pushed back against by pop culture. It certainly is countered by the messages that are pumped out in mainstream pop culture. You know, they're casting people like Tom Hanks and George Clooney, Laurence Olivier, Matt Damon. They're casting romantic leading men as widowers in films because widowers are not attractive because Jake Gyllenhaal is not attractive. No, they put these actors, these icons, these movie stars in these roles because widowers are perhaps a little perversely attractive. So you have to set that aside, what you're telling yourself in the wake of this one breakup about the undesirability of a widower, because it's just not true. And you need to go back to your doctor and talk to him about the hormone imbalance, that you pump out too much progesterone or prolactin, 
and that's interfering. You believe with your ability to get an erection, you want a patch, you want a testosterone supplement. You want to see if that makes a difference. If you haven't told the doctor that you are incapable of getting an erection, that you have erectile dysfunction and this might be the reason, they might not regard your imbalance as medically significant enough to treat because they don't have all the information because you haven't provided all the information to your doctor about your symptoms. A lot of people go to the doctor. They don't tell the doctor that they have ED. They dance around the subject. They're afraid to bring it up. They don't want to be emasculated even in front of their doctor, someone they're never going to have sex with, hopefully and theoretically. And if you withheld that information, yeah, your doctor might tell you that this isn't a problem. Statistically speaking, men with your particular condition, statistically speaking, on average, don't have erectile dysfunction problems, perhaps. But you do. Your doctor needs that information so he can treat you in your particular circumstance, your particular case. Go back to your doctor. If your doctor won't help you, go see another doctor. Get a second opinion. Also try Viagra. And take some time. You're obviously still in pain and who wouldn't be? And our hearts go out to you. Sounds like you're reeling right now. It sounds like you don't have the ability to absorb a blow at this moment to your ego, to your heart. Your heart which suffered perhaps the worst blow that anyone's heart can suffer in the loss of your spouse. And right now the slings and arrows and bullshit that come with dating, you don't perhaps have the capacity to absorb those blows without being knocked on your ass. So don't put yourself out there at the moment. That doesn't mean never put yourself out there. That doesn't mean you can't ever date ever again. You can and you will. After you've spoken to your doctor, after you've watched Sleepless in Seattle, Sound of Music, we bought a zoo. Maybe you can skip. We bought a zoo. Definitely watch Rebecca with Lawrence Olivier. Jude Law, beautiful in the holiday. But you know what? You can skip Time Cop with Claude Van Damme. It's no good. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old queer woman living in Brooklyn. I just had a quick question. I started dating this woman who is 45 years old. And we've been dating for maybe four months. It's been going really great. However, she never contacts me like during the day or through the week. Um, it's only when we see each other on the weekends or sometimes during the week that we ever contact each other. Um, I'll text her here and there, but she's not a big texter. She's not into talking on the phone. And to be honest, it's kind of driving me insane because I want to know, how's your day? What's up? What are you doing? Um, and I miss her. So it's something that I've mentioned to her before. And she said she would try to text me more often or contact me more often. Um, however, it's gotten back to the whole thing again where she's not really talking to me. Anyways, makes me feel like I'm not special, but then also makes me feel like I'm crazy for wanting to talk to her more. So I wanted to know your opinion. Um, how often do you talk to Terry? I know it's a little bit different, but what do you think? Should you only talk to the person when you see them like once or twice a week or communication during the week? Is that okay as well? How often do I text with Terry? I think others out there in long, long, long-term relationships might be able to relate to this. And Terry and I actually moved to address this and tried to change our ways because we both realized that when I got a text from him or he got a text from me, I would look at my phone and see text from Terry and flinch because it was never good news. It was the toilets are overflowing or the house is on fire or the dog died. It was always the bad news, the grind of everyday life. Like, oh my God, this is happening. Come home. This, ah. And so – we began to flinch when we get a text from each other because it was never happy. So we made an effort to like send each other a note every once in a while mixed into the pile of taxes are due and the house is on fire and the dog is dead. 
mix into that pile of distressing and neither of our dogs are dead. I probably shouldn't use that example. Please, nobody panic. Mixed into the pile of distressing, panicked taxes are due texts. We try to stir in a hope you're having a nice day. Oh, this good thing just happened. I just had a great lunch. Here's a dick pic. We have each other's mutual consent to send each other dicks pics, sometimes pics of our own dicks too. So it's not a problem in our relationship, but it took some effort. So Terry and I do that. Your girlfriend, though, moving on to you, you asked me how we do it. That's how we do it. Moving on to you, you say things are going great in this relationship. You also say that this woman is driving you insane. Those are hard to reconcile. Makes me wonder how serious a problem her communication style is. If you can say at the top of the call, things are going great, but there's this one thing that drives you crazy. Well, that thing, that thing that drives you crazy is sometimes the price of admission that you have to pay to be with this person. Your girlfriend, most of her adult life predates the smartphone. Most of her adult life was pre-texting, pre-WhatsApping, pre-Snapchatting, pre-Instagram DMing. And so it's just not something she incorporated into her daily routines in the way that you, 27-year-old millennial, incorporated the smartphone into your daily routine where you're always sending and receiving texts and cute messages and emojis and memes and gifts from your friends. Well, you might have to get that kind of daily input engagement from your friends and not this woman if she's going to be your girlfriend, if this is going to work out long term because it's just not in her to provide that to you. You've addressed it. And you have every right to address it. You know, I need to hear from you during the week. It'd be nice if I felt like I had a girlfriend on Monday to Friday and not just on Friday to Sunday. And she made an effort but not an effort that she could sustain. This might not be in her. So ask yourself if everything else she brings to the table, everything else that you think about when you round this relationship up to going great is worth it, is worth paying the price of admission around texting and around hearing from her constantly. And if it is, pay it. Pay it and shut up. That's the part about the price of admission that some people forget. You pay the price of admission and then you ride the ride. You don't pay the price of admission and then bitch the entire time you're on the ride about how much it costs to ride the ride. Pay the price of admission. Shut up. Enjoy the ride. Can you pay this price of admission? Can you be with this woman and love her and focus on everything that's great about the relationship and let this go? Because she's just not going to be able to do this for you. And if you can, great. Then this might work out. If you can't, then you're going to have to pull the plug. Seems silly to me to pull the plug over something so minor, particularly if you guys are on track at some point to move in and live together because then you will get plenty of attention and focus and day in, day out affirmations of her affections for you and her attentions directed toward you and at you. Hi, I have a question. I had a boyfriend of five years and I found pictures of an erect penis on his phone. He said that those were for me, but he didn't want to send them because he didn't want to offend me. And then about a year later on his phone, on the search history for the internet, I found about 14 ads for uh, Craigslist men's for men. And um, when I asked him about it, he said that some friends got into his phone at work. Some guys got into his phone and about a year after that on his phone, an email popped up from a Craigslist personal ad and it said that I guess my ex-boyfriend had sent him an email asking if he was still looking for a blow job and then also gave his stats. And I wanted to ask, do you think he's on the down low and hiding things 
behind his girlfriend's or wife's back? Is this something that could just start up all of a sudden, or has he been doing it a long time? He just turned 50, and this happened about in the last couple of years. So this isn't someone you're still with, is it? You say, I had a boyfriend? Well, I mean, he wants to get back together. Okay. So according to to Pew Research, partnered bisexuals, only 9% of them are with same-sex partners. 84% of bisexuals are with opposite-sex partners. And according to the same Pew Research study, only 28% of bisexuals are out to the most important persons in their lives. Before you get back together with this guy, I think you need to ask yourself, are you okay with being with a guy who's bisexual? Because none of his answers pass the laugh test about all of these ads mysteriously appearing on his phone. Reminds me of that Onion headline, why can't I get all these gay guys to stop sucking my cock? <laughs> you know, why, 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 won't all these, why won't all these men leave my, my cell phone alone? So, so let's game out, right. not the worst case scenario, which would be perhaps that he was gay and not interested in you physically at all and incapable of loving you romantically, truly and deeply, but that he's bi. And like many bi people, he may be heteroromantic and bisexual mm-hmm. in that he falls in love with opposite sex partners and can only feel that deep romantic sort of yearning for an attachment to an opposite sex partner, but enjoys sex also with same sex partners to some degree. Could you live with that? You already have. You dated him, you said, for five years. If that was all on the table and open and honest, how would you feel? I don't, I couldn't live with, I couldn't live like that. Okay. Even if he never acted on it, even if it was a closed relationship, it would be a libido killer for you to be with a bi guy who didn't actually act on his same sex attractions or desires. I guess I just wouldn't know if he if he would act on it. Well, you can't know that about a heterosexual guy either. You can't know whether mm-hmm. they're going to be strictly faithful to you. So that's just something that that's true. there's no assurance. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, this is why a lot of bi people aren't out to their opposite sex partners because they fear just this kind of rejection. I think it would be better if right. bi people were out and sought out partners who – we're okay with it or even into it. There are women out there who like to watch their boyfriends or husbands suck a dick. You're not one of those women. Right. It sounds like. Mm-mm. So no. you're not a good potential partner for him going forward. If he wants to live openly and honestly without being paranoid about you stumbling over this ad or that ad, you don't want to be with someone where you're going to feel like you have to police his phone and police his pants and his underpants. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds like just based on the information at hand, the information you've shared with me, I don't think you should get back together with this guy. I also don't think he should get back together with you. It doesn't sound like you would want to be with him. I would encourage him if I had him on the phone not to want to be with you either because being with you means being closeted, having to hide this, having to to, to suppress it and stuff it down. He needs to come into not some random stranger's mouth on the down low every once in a while. He needs to come into – his full self. He needs to own his full self. He needs to be with someone that he can be exactly who he is with. And it doesn't sound like that person's you. If he accepted that, but didn't act on it, wouldn't he still be suppressing himself? Not necessarily. There are bisexual people in monogamous relationships and forgoing same sex sex is the price of admission that they are happily willing to pay to be with their partner. 
Nobody gets everything mm-hmm. that they want sexually. And that can be around the mm-hmm. genitalia buffet you would like to eat at. That can also be around certain kinks. Nobody gets everything that they want. If he's willing to pay that price of admission to be with you, you might want to let him pay it if everything else about the relationship is great. But if you're going to be paranoid because he's already lied to you in the past and incapable of ever relaxing or letting him out of your sight, that's just a cancer that's going to eat away at the relationship over time. Mm-hmm. So it might not be advisable to get back together with him. But at the very least, you can't have a conversation yeah. about a future together unless he can be honest with you about your past, his past, his present, who he is. One dick pic. That He's he, still denying that. That's a bad sign. There's a lot of closeted mm-hmm. a lot of closeted bi people out there, and it's not entirely by people's fault that they're closeted, right? Gay people give bi people grief, don't want to date them, so they don't say. A lot of straight people don't want to date bi people, and straight people who don't want to date bi people often put bi people who are heteroromantic in this position where if they ever want a long-term partner, they feel like they can never be honest because maybe they've been dumped three or four times mm-hmm. by opposite sex partners they were honest with. And so they, mm-hmm. they, they shut it down. They, they don't share. Or they just hear that pe- by people get dumped by opposite sex partners that they're honest with because that's the reason why so many people get online and search. One of the top searches on Google is, is my husband gay? And it could be the wife has stumbled over a dick pic or some gay pornography and that instantly gets rounded up to he's gay. doesn't matter how many times he's eaten your pussy. How many times you guys have had great, passionate, heterosexual sex, one dick pic, one uh, interaction with a male, one jack-off session thinking about male-male sex suddenly somehow makes all the straight sex, I don't know, it, it erases it? Mm-hmm. When you guys were together, how was, your, how was the sex? Um, it was okay. Not great? No. He would like me to... Um be on my stomach so that he was like for me that was weird it was like yeah that's some uh, that's a broke back mountain move isn't it we all saw that in broke back mountain yeah yeah that's what i was thinking yeah maybe not maybe not get back together with this guy it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. you want him it sounds like maybe you're contemplating getting back together with him because there's no one else on the horizon at the moment and he is the father of my daughter. Ah, well, there is that complication as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's com- I mean, if he was honest with me about it, but he didn't act on it, I mean, I, I could consider that. But the fact that he's lied about it before and right. numerous times, and then I found, I found those, you know, different things on his phone at different times. Mm-hmm. And then he still won't admit to me that he's like that. But does he think right now, if he admits to you that he's like that, that you're going to dump him? That creates a tremendous disincentive to be honest. Yeah. I guess if I told him that if he's honest about it, but doesn't act on it, that I wouldn't. I think you should tell him that and see what he says. Mm-hmm. He's definitely not a hundred percent straight. Mm-hmm. One dick pic I took for you. That's like you got somebody a bouquet of dicks, but you didn't send them to them because they might be offended by it. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't pass the laugh test or the smell test or Occam's razor doesn't pass any of those things. And then all the mm-hmm. personal ads and then the Craigslist ads who on work gets on somebody's phone and uploads a bunch of Craigslist ads and responds to them as a joke. That's not a joke. Men play on each other. That's not a joke. Anyone plays on each other. That's a, a lie. Someone reached for in a panic in the moment. Mm-hmm. You have a right to demand that he is yeah. honest with you straight with you as 
to use that phrase in a different context, <laughs> a different meaning. He needs to be straight with you about the fact that he fucking ain't straight. And then you can have a conversation mm-hmm. about what's possible for you two together and what you will allow him. Right. Because not acting on it, does that also mean no looking at gay porn every once in a while and having a wank? Mm. We haven't addressed the fact that you've been digging through his phone and, you know, violating his privacy. And as I've said a million times on the show, sometimes retroactively we have a justification for having violated our partner's privacy because we find something that we needed to know. That they have a secret second mm-hmm. family in Omaha. If you found that out by reading your partner's emails without their permission, I think retroactively that was an, an invasion of privacy that can be justified. So I'm not always down on, you know, being suspicious and taking a look, but you were suspicious and you took a look. If you get back together and you believe him that he's not acting on it, will you be capable of allowing him to have a zone of erotic privacy that'll, that, that makes it possible for him to occasionally not fuck a guy, but fantasize about fucking a guy, have a wank while he watches somebody else fuck a guy on his phone or computer? Or is that going to be a violation? Mm-hmm. You can't control someone's erotic imagination and where it goes. Mm-hmm. We all have a right to some uh, to a zone of erotic autonomy, and our partners don't get to prune or edit or constrain our erotic imaginations. Well, I know. Uh, I think one thing did slip out of his mouth when he was. Um, that's almost as good. That's almost as good him. as me using straight. What what slipped out of his <laughs> mouth? Please tell us what slipped out of his <laughs> mouth one time. One time, just one time. Yeah. <laughs> was um, when he said that it helps them get off faster sometimes. To think about gay sex? I don't know exactly, but when we were talking about him, um, when I found out about him replying to um, Men for Men Craigslist mm-hmm. ad where the guy was asking somebody to suck his dick. So Some people get off on being wanted. There are people out there. there are, I've mm-hmm. met straight guys who put ads up on Craigslist who put who have really explicit Instagram feeds because they enjoy the attention of gay men or men's attention, even though they have no desire to actually go through with it or act on it. They like being they like the male gaze. They like being subjected to the male gaze. It turns them on and they plow that erotic energy into their female partners. On the the other side of the field, lesbians, you often hear from lesbians who watch a lot of gay male porn and really enjoy it. And have they have no desire for dick. We're actually having opposite sex sex, but they like gay porn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are complicated. But those are the exceptions. You know, it's rare for the, the straight guy who really gets off on being chased by gay men. That's not common among straight guys, but they do exist. Mm-hmm. And what's likelier that your potential future, again, boyfriend is bi or that your potential future, again, boyfriend is one of those straight guys who just gets off on being desired by men. Well, odds are it's bi because there are many, 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 many more bi guys than those straight guys who want gay men to lust after them. Yeah. Well, and it does seem like he would ask to do like, and we never did, but like anal, we would talk about that. Anal doesn't mean gay. So that made me kind of wonder. Anal doesn't mean gay. Straight guys like anal. Like people, people talk about anal like yeah, it's just, I've heard that. It's just butt for gay guys, like goat butt. Like any butt will do. That's gay butt. Like if you're touching a butt, that's a gay thing mm-hmm. to do. It doesn't matter if it's a girl butt, a goat butt, a guppy butt. Whatever it is, if it's butt, it's gay. And that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> but there are yeah. closet cases yeah. out there, you know, 
Brookback Mountain style who want to get the wife into a position where they can be less focused on the fact that she's a woman where they can fantasize about it's a woman with her breast being a man. Right. And yeah, I certainly played that game when I was a closeted teenager having sex with girls at the end here. The thing that you have to do is have a conversation with him where you invite him and ask him to be as open for maybe the first time in his life, as open as he possibly can be as open as you require him to be. If he wants this relationship to resume or go forward about who he actually is and tell him that that doesn't mean that you aren't going to get back together with him. You're definitely not going to get back together with him with the information and the conversations you've had up to this point, the information you've been given with the evidence that you've stumbled over with the things that he's told you, you're not getting back together with him. The only chance of getting back together with him is radical honesty and transparency and him him coming out to you about who he really is because you don't buy this. Mm-hmm. who he tells you he is. You don't buy it. Right. And he's got to tell you who he really is. And then maybe you can be together, but there's no hope of being together with what's on the table now. And then that incentivizes truth telling on his part. That incentivizes coming out. If coming out to you and being radically mm-hmm. honest and radically transparent is the only way to potentially be with you long-term creates an incentive to be out. If coming out to you means he can never be with you, creates an incentive never to come out to you, to continue to lie to you. Yeah. You've got to change the incentives here. So lay it out for him. Yeah, I see that. Honestly, bye, maybe we can be together. Dishonestly straight, no way. Honestly, mm-hmm. bye, but monogamous, yes, we can be together. Honestly, bye, and monogamous, and you occasionally jack off to gay porn, and I'm not going to invade your privacy, and I'm not going to give you grief about it, fine. I can live with that. I can love you then. But to be lied to every day about who mm-hmm. you are, every day about who you are, I can't love you. And be lied to every day, all day long, about who you are. Good luck. Thank you. You're welcome. My heart goes out to you. I appreciate it. Hi, Dan. This is a 20-something-year-old female, and I have a relationship question for my friend. She doesn't listen to the podcast, but I recommend that she did, and hopefully she listens to my advice. Um, Essentially, her and her boyfriend have been together for the past six years. Everything has been mostly okay, except for the past, I want to say, year. He has been making rude remarks about her weight and being point blank clear that he is not happy with it. I personally believe my friend is beautiful the way she is. And while I understand that some people are interested in their partner for their weight and that sort of thing, I still feel like it's a little disrespectful to constantly make her feel down about herself, even though she is trying with dieting and exercise. Uh, it's a huge fighting point between the two of them, and it's gotten to the point where their lease is about to come up, and the conversation of them not signing a new lease together could be a possibility because he doesn't want to sign that contract to agree to be with her for however long that lease is and live with her for however long that lease is because of her weight. This is tearing my friend apart. And while I understand that people like who they like, and if he is not okay with her weight, I feel like that's sort of his choice. But at the same time, I feel like he should respect her for herself and just, I, I'm obviously biased. She's my best friend and she's a wonderful person, but she's obviously torn apart by this. I feel like he doesn't appreciate her for all that she does. And while she has 
started listening to me when I tell her that maybe he's not quite the right one and maybe she should break up with him, it's also an issue because they're financially dependent on one another to pay their bills. And if they were to go their separate ways and live separately and move on in their lives, she worries that she wouldn't be able to do so because of financial reasons. So she's kind of wanting to stay with him because obviously she loves him. She's dedicated the past six years to him. But also, she doesn't know what to do about financial reasons. So, what do you think? Should he not be so concerned about her weight, especially even though she is trying to lose weight? And should she try to, you know, help him see the light in that regard? Or should she (laughs) dump his ass and move on to be happy? And even though it'll be a little financially difficult, find her way and find someone who cares about her as much as she ought to be cared about. Your friend's boyfriend wants out and he's going to continue to treat your friend cruelly and more and more cruelly until she leaves. He's forcing her. He's putting her in a position where she's going to have no choice but to break up with him. Even if she lost all the weight, even if she was skinnier now than she was when they met six years ago, if not the weight issue, it would be some other issue because he wants out. That is the point of the cruelty here. It's not about diet. It's not about exercise. It's not about body mass index. It's about done. It's about over. Your friend needs to go. And if it means being somebody's roommate, if it means economizing and scrimping, if it means moving back in with mom and dad for a while, then that's what she's going to have to do. The longer she stays, the worse it's going to get. I'm not saying he's going to get violent. He's engaged in a kind of emotional violence here, though. He's kind of beating your friend up emotionally, attacking her for her appearance day in, day out. It will get worse. He is trying to force her hand. It hasn't worked yet, in part because she's aware that she's financially dependent on him. It sounds like she's a little more dependent on him than perhaps he is on her. And that is factoring into your friend's decision-making process in a toxic way. She needs to accept diminished circumstances for improved emotional well-being and health and anticipate the coming into her life and her vagina of a new partner down the road who loves her for who she is, how she is. This guy doesn't. Time to go. Time to DTMFA. And you're a good friend for making the call. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the caller on the episode that was aired on January 2nd, who is experiencing like going to some other place when they're orgasming with their partner. And I think all of what you said to that person might be going on for them. And I think it's also really important to consider that the sexual assault that happened to that caller when they were 15 could have a role. I'm a therapist that works with survivors of sexual assault, and the caller sounds a lot like they're dissociating. So I think it might be good to explore that either with a therapist or on their own. For example, EMDR or trauma-focused CBT therapy might be really helpful for that caller to work through any lingering residual trauma from that experience that might be playing a role in their dissociation when they're trying to orgasm with their partner. I'm calling regarding episode 584 and the female attorney dealing with sexist old lawyers. I disagree with Dan's approach of referring to the news because it allows men to say, I would never do that. Instead, I recommend a three-part response. First, stop laughing or giggling. Don't respond or just, hmm, and change the subject. This removes any positive feedback and it is powerful to refuse a socially expected laugh. Second, when he repeats the comment or asks why you didn't laugh, have a response ready. I didn't think it was funny 
or I don't think my appearance is particularly relevant, or I don't discuss my private life at work. Here, you take control of the conversation and give him an out to retract, deny, or apologize. Third and finally, gently change the subject. By keeping your sword sheathed and standing your ground, you leave the door open for further questions and conversation about what comments are appropriate in the workplace and why. I speak from personal experience in a very similar field. If you can do this with grace, you can come out of it with better colleagues and mutual respect. Good luck. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to put a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. If you like my rants at the top of the show, you will love my rants on Blabbermouth, the Stranger's Weekly Political Podcast, hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders. Check out Blabbermouth wherever you're checking out your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Erica Moen of Ojoy Sex Toy on Twitter at Erica Moen. She spells Erica with a K. And be sure to read Savage Love, my weekly sex advice column at TheStranger.com and in other newspapers all across the world. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. 